And so I thought it would be appropriate this morning to go on a journey, on a boat seafaring journey together. Cruising with Jonah, or who's on board your boat? I'm going to tell you a little story. That evening, the passengers were excitedly packing luggage in anticipation of their journeys. In some cases, dozens of trunks were packed, loaded onto dollies, and taken to the docks. For some, packing meant just rolling a few meager items up into their bed linens. The wealthier had luxury rooms at nearby hotels and spent the night before the trip playing cards or visiting with friends, having a meal together prior to their journeys. The poor kept looking at their boarding passes, thrilled at their good luck. Tickets for the trip were hard to come by. So the rich and poor alike waited for the boarding the next morning. They were all excited about coming to America, their trip to America, excited that they were fortunate enough on this evening of April 12th knowing that the next morning they would be aboard the grandest ship ever built, Titanic. Quite a few years ago, a pretty spectacular movie was made about the Titanic's fateful journey. <laughs> a friend of mine invited a girl he just met to see the movie with him. As the movie progressed, the girl was surprised and horrified. Spoiler alert. She didn't know the ship sank. Well, duh. Yeah, let's just say that he didn't ask that girl on a date after that time. Last week, Pastor Kevin introduced us to this new series, a study of the book of Jonah. Good old Jonah. Most of us, not all of you perhaps, but most of us know the big fish story. Okay. Most, if not all of us, know the major selling points of the story of Jonah. So what I'm about to say won't be giving anything away. But if you don't know the story of Jonah, you might want to shut your ears because this is going to be another spoiler alert. Jonah runs from God. Jonah gets tossed into the sea. And he's swallowed by a large fish. But if that's all we know, that's all we've ever heard about the story of Jonah. We really haven't heard the entire tale. I'm not sure if you know how sermon series works, but here's the download. I'm part of the teaching ministry here at, at, at Connectus Church. And a few months ago, a few of us from the teaching team met with Pastor Kevin and discussed various topics, uh, various Bible passages, scripture that we wanted to study and present to y'all. After deciding that, and deciding what we wanted to look at, we divided the book of Jonah into sections and decided who was going to preach which verses. Now, my passage opens with these words. Then the crew cast lots. Well, the teaching team didn't exactly cast lots that day we met. We didn't do that to see who was preaching what, but the reality is it has fallen on my lot to look at Jonah 1, 7 to 17. 
In the verses immediately preceding that passage, we learn that a huge storm has come up. Speaking of huge storms, I'm happy to see that you all made it through the storms that passed through here last night. Uh, there was something else. Anyhow, uh, a storm had come up, and Jonah 1.5 ends with these words. Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to you and spare our lives. And with those verses in mind, I would like to invite you to join with me in reading the entire passage of Jonah 1 to 7, or yeah, Jonah 1, 7 to 17 together. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, I'm pleased to tell you that we have Bibles available in the lobby for you. We'd love to give you one before you leave today, so take advantage of that if you don't have a Bible. But for the rest of us, we're going to have this whole passage on the screen, and I'm going to invite you to honor God's word this morning and stand and read the passage with me. Again, we're going to be reading Jonah 1, 7 to 17. Let's read it together. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What line of work are you in? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And we'll continue. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the Lord reached down, picked Jonah up, and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Let's pray together. Father God, Thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you so much for giving us this story of your work in Jonah's life. Father, I pray this morning as we look at these a few verses together, these 10 verses, that you would open our hearts. Speak to us this morning. Speak to me this morning. Thank you so much for your work in our lives, for your continued work in our lives, and for your plan for our lives. And I ask this morning for your blessing on us as we look into your word 
And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before you sit down, turn to somebody and say hello. If there's somebody here that you haven't met before, take this moment to greet them and say hi. Hi. Yay. Okay, ships, they don't sail unless there are people on board. The night the Titanic set sail, approximately 2,435 passengers and 900 crew members were on board the ship. Among those were America's wealthiest millionaire, John Jacob Astor, the man who co-built the Astor Waldorf Astoria Hotel. There was also the co-founder of Macy's Department Store and his wife, Isidore and Ida Strauss. There was also a countess, a philanthropist, and a silent movie star screen. I've had a really long three weeks, folks, and my tongue is just like, ah. So bear with me this morning. Uh, these were all some of the wealthy that paid several thousand dollars per person to be on board that ship, the Titanic. At the other end of the financial spectrum were those in third class, 700 individuals, all assigned to use one of two bathtubs. Yeah, there was one person on board the Titanic that I must mention in relation to Jonah. His name was Thomas Andrews. Thomas Andrews was the, was the architect of the ship. He was on board specifically on that maiden voyage to see if there were any flaws in his design. It has been recorded that as soon as the ship, the Titanic, hit the iceberg, Andrews knew instinctively that a design flaw would ultimately sink that ship. He knew it was doomed the moment the ship hit the iceberg. And Thomas Andrews immediately began frantically trying to save those he could. I'm a teacher, and I find details like that really fascinating. But I guarantee that most people, many people, are satisfied only with the major selling points. You know, like big, Presumably, unsinkable ship hits iceberg and sinks, and people die. End of story. Many of us kind of settle for the big picture when it comes to Bible stories and Bible knowledge. For instance, we know about Eve's apple diet. We know about Moses dividing the Red Sea. We know about David's encounter with his giant. And we know about Jonah with the whale. A lot of misinformation in those last couple sentences. In doing so, we all too often miss some amazing lessons. In fact, we think we know these well-known stories, and oftentimes we get them wrong. To be honest, when looking at the 10 verses assigned to me this morning, it would be easy 
to sum them up with these words. There was a big storm. Jonah loses a bet, and he's tossed overboard. So before we move along in this series of the prophet Jonah, I think it's important that we do a quick review for those of you who might not have been here last week and for those of us that were here last week, just so that we were caught up to verse 7 and what we're looking at this morning. Last week, we were introduced to a Hebrew guy by the name of Jonah. He lived near the border of the northern kingdom of Israel. We know he was called by God to be a prophet. We're told that. God calls him, Jonah, get up and go northeast to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the New York City of its day. And in Jonah's time, at the height of its power, it was the capital of Assyria. Assyria, some of you might remember this from last week. Some of you might remember it from when you studied world history in high school. Assyria, it was known for its brutality. Their specialty was brutality of a gross and disgusting kind. If you're squeamish, beware. Kevin warned you about this last week. When their armies captured a city or a country, unspeakable atrocities would occur. People were skinned alive. They were decapitated. There was mutilation, ripping out of tongues, making a pyramid of human heads. And the list goes on and on. Ancient Assyria and records boast of this kind of cruelty. And the whole town was known for its witchcraft, its sexual promiscuity, and its idolatry. And it's to this city that God wants Jonah to go and warn them that doom is coming. Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Well, first of all, Jonah hates everything about Nineveh. And he's glad it's going to be destroyed. So he goes in a different direction. Which brings me to this. Some of you have been wondering when I'm getting to this. This is a hot dog. Just picked it up this morning. It's fresh. Now, I want you to imagine that you are on the International Space Station, high above the Earth. Now, imagine that this is the Mediterranean Sea because this is kind of how it's shaped when you're looking at it from above. Jonah has been, this, this is Joppa, a seaport, a big important seaport. Here you go, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And Jonah has been called, he lives about here, and he has been called to go up here to Nineveh, this horrible, horrible city. So Jonah instead travels from his home to Joppa, this little seaport, with the intent of, instead of heading northeast, to head due west to Tarshish, which is today's Spain. It was a major trading city at the time. It uh, uh, trade from all along this, the Mediterranean seaports would end up here in Tarshish and then go out to other parts of the world. Jared, I know you want this, but maybe you want to wait till later. So there you go. End of review. Got it? You know where Joppa is? You know where Tarshish is? You know where all that is? So the big question I have for us this morning is who 
in the world is on board the ship with Jonah. I'd like to remind you that each of us, if we're believers, if we're believers, we could be on this same boat as Jonah, deliberately running away from God's call on our lives. You might respond, but I'm not called. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a missionary. Uh, well, perhaps you haven't been called to a specific ministry area, but I'm here to tell you this morning that all believers have been called. If you're a believer, remember that the first time you heard the gospel and your heart quickened, you recognized that you were a sinner and you needed God's help. You needed his mercy. You needed his grace. That tugging at your heart, that was a call, a call for God saying, hey, come, I love you. I love you. I want you to be part of my family. Well, you either answered that call from God and invited Jesus into your heart as your Savior, or you might have said, well, maybe not right now. Uh, we'll put it off a little bit. Or you might have been really honest and said, hey, hey, God, thanks for the call, but no way. Uh, I'm, I'm not down for that, not just yet. No matter what, believers, and I am speaking primarily to believers this morning, if you think this isn't a call, I would quickly remind you of Paul's letters to the Ephesians, which opens with these words, where Paul is pleading, and he begs believers to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. If you're a believer this morning, according to John 6, 44, God the Father has called you to himself. And if you're still not convinced, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers in chapter 1 of his letter to them. And it reads like this. Think, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. He chose us when we were weak. He cho chose us just as we were and loved us all the same and called us to be part of his eternal family. And it didn't stop there. As a believer in Jesus, like it or not, as a believer, you, we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have a calling. Now, Jonah had been called to deliver a very specific message. Destruction was coming to Nineveh. As believers, we have been called by Jesus to himself to be part of his family. Believers, we have all been called to go tell the world. We've all been called to our own little Nineveh to share Jesus. We've been called. We're on the boat. Who else is on, on board Jonah's vessel? Well, there were some Phoenician sailors. We learned a lot about Nineveh last week. I shared a little bit more this morning. When Jonah blatantly chooses to disregard God's call, he heads to the prosperous port of Joppa, where he boards a ship. It was a major seaport. Jewish traditions would tell us that the sailors of the ship were Canaanites. Or we might know them from our world history book by their Grecian name, 
Phoenicians. History records that the Phoenicians were phenomenal shipbuilders and sailors. The boat that Jonah bought passage on was likely quite large. Phoenician warships have been discovered that would have space for 1,000 individuals. But since Jonah's boat was headed to Tarshish or Spain, it would have been most likely a trading vessel and as such would have about 100 sailors on board. I think a lot of times when, we, when we're reading about Jonah when we're kids in, in Sunday school, we think of this boat as this little dinky with maybe three or four or five sailors on board. Now this was, this was a pretty significant vessel because it was, it was doing trade all along the coast of, of the Mediterranean. And that's the kind of ship that uh, Jonah would have found himself on. But we mentioned that these sailors were, were referred to in Jewish tradition as Canaanites, Canaanite sailors. If you've been around any church for any amount of time and done any reading in the Old Testament, that word Canaanite should ring a bell. Beginning with Abraham, God promised his chosen people a land of their own. And when Moses led the people out of Egypt, they were headed directly toward lands controlled by Canaanite peoples. It wasn't necessarily the people or individuals that stood in the way of Israel. God hated their lifestyles. He hated the Canaanite religious practices. Even a short reading of the Old Testament paints a sordid picture of the Canaanites as a corrupt society. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we see a picture of idolatry, taboo sexual activity, human sacrifice, including sacrificing children. Just as God had to bring judgment on the earth during the days of Noah and later Sodom and Gomorrah, he uses Joshua and others to bring judgment on the Canaanites. I can promise you, reading those passages of destruction in the Old Testament can be difficult. And I appreciate the writing of a man by the name of John Walton who states that Israel's invasion wasn't so much about ending Canaanite lives as it was about dismantling a culture. You could liken it to this. You could liken Israel's battles with the Canaanites to the Allies' invasion of Europe during World War II. Those Allied soldiers were on a mission to end a regime, the evil Nazi regime. They weren't there to just completely wipe out every German life. And that was Joshua's work, to move into these Canaanite uh, villages, towns, etc., and cleanse them cleanse them of their, their idolatry, cleanse them of the, the worship of their religious practices, and so on. And so these are the people that Jonah finds himself aboard with on this ship. He was going to head to, he was supposed to head to Nineveh, where all of these same things were going on. Now he finds himself in a boat with the exact same people, or kinds of people, that he was running... It's just a hot mess. Anyhow, who else is on board? We have Jonah. We have the sailors. We have the sailors' gods. And there were many. It would seem obvious 
that the sailors would have at least two idols on board with them, Baal and Asherah. Baal was considered the god of fertility and weather. I, I, I'm going to give you a foreshadow of something that's coming up during the summer months. We're going to be uh, talking more about idolatry as, as part of a series. And you'll hear these names again, Baal and Asherah. Uh, Baal was considered the god of fertility and, and weather. People believed he controlled the sea. Depending on the region, he would have gone by some other names. But those Canaanite sailors would have wanted to be on good terms with this idol who presumably controlled the sea that they were floating on. But also on board was this goddess named Asherah, a fertility goddess and frequently called the lady of the sea and mother of the gods. I challenge you, when reading the Old Testament, see how frequently the names Baal and Asherah appear throughout the Old Testament, while Israel should have been destroying all vestiges of the Canaanite deities, they increasingly embraced them. They embraced idolatry and frequently wove it into their own worship. God hated it. Here's the deal, folks, and worthy of another sermon at some point. When religion is ungodly, its power is destructive, and every institution in the nation suffers. I'm going to repeat that. I opted not to have a lot of bells and whistles this morning, not a lot of projections, not a lot of uh, illustrations, but I do want you to get this. You might even want to jot it down, because I think it applies to us in our world today. When a, when a religion is ungodly, its power is destructive, and every institution in the nation suffers. Because these Canaanite gods, these idols, were neither alive nor a moral force, their worshipers could only communicate to them by ritual actions that portrayed what they were asking those idols to do. Since Baal and Asherah were fertility idols, the human act of intercourse and ritual prostitution became a significant part of their worship. You see, the only way Baal was different from his human admirers is merely that those humans gave him a title. Chances are that you have studied human history, particularly the histories of Greece and Rome, and you would have come across the many false gods that they worshipped. All those ancient gods, small letters, were just like us. They had the exact same weaknesses. They were jealous. They were angry. They had affairs. They were, it goes on and on. They were just like us. The only difference is that humans gave them the title of God. The Lord, capital letters, L-O-R-D, remember Kevin's message last week, the Lord God Jehovah, his difference from us is significant. 
He is holy. He is moral. And we are grossly immoral. After we accept his calling, he commands us to follow him and to become like he is. As believers, he calls, there's that word again, he calls us to follow him. And so, back on board the boat with Jonah, the sea raged with the storm, and these pagan sailors would have placed their false hope on equally false gods who were supposed to control the waves. And in order to get an answer from this false Baal and Asherah, they sought answers from them as only they knew how. They cast lots. Perhaps they drew straws. They cast bones. They wanted to find out who was responsible because this storm was such that they knew that this was something otherworldly. It wasn't like storms they would have hit in the past. And where was Jonah during this storm at sea? Well, our hero in this story, title of the book, Jonah, the sleeping prophet. I want to liken him to that guy that designed the Titanic. Remember Thomas Andrews, the architect of the Titanic? He was on board to see if there were any flaws. I said before, as soon as the ship hit the iceberg, Andrews would have known that the design flaw would ultimately sink that boat. He knew it was doomed. So what did he do? He began to help and save as many as he could. Jonah was the Andrews of his boat. No, he wasn't the architect. The Phoenician builders were awesome shipbuilders. But Jonah was an informed passenger, just like Thomas Andrews. And he knew the ship was going to go down. And he knew the flaw that was sinking the ship was him. Jonah also knew that the storm had nothing to do with Baal. He was aware that the ship was doomed because he was the flaw. And as we close last week's service with Jonah 1.6, we find him fast asleep. Gotta love what the captain says to Jonah, trying to rouse him from sleeping. Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention. And so verse 7 finds the crew casting lots, picking the short straw, tossing the dice, whatever. These guys were scared. These were professional sailors. They knew the waters of the Mediterranean Sea. This was the major sea passage from trade east to west and back and forth. They would have known all the major trade cities. They would have encountered storms at sea. But there was something about the power of this storm that frightened them to the point that they were dumping their cargoes overboard. The cargo, their income. Let's face it, folks. When faced with life-threatening circumstances, money, wealth, they don't really matter anymore. Then there was something so incredibly horrible about this storm that these wizened sailors began to suspect that one of their own had committed something so atrocious. And they were convinced 
that one of their numerous gods had been offended. Have any of you ever noticed that when horrific things happen, even atheists and agnostics suddenly begin to call on God to pray? These sailors were faced with a decision. They could either outrun the storm, which had be apparently become a non-solution, or they could turn to their gods. The ancient gods, that you may recall, were notable because even though they were worshipped, they were man-made and made in the image of man. They all had human traits. They were jealous. They were petty and proud. They were weak. Both Baal and Asherah were associated with controlling the seas. The sailors were partially correct, according to verse 4. Not only had a god caused the storm at sea, we know that the Lord God, Jehovah, had. The God who created earth and separated the waters from above and the waters from below, the Lord Yahweh was in charge of this particular storm at sea. And as the sleeping prophet stumbles across the reeling deck of that ship, I wonder if he was aware of a psalmist who wrote in Psalm 89, God, you rule the swelling sea when, it waves, when its waves rise. You, Lord, still them. Perhaps he was aware of Psalm 65, which read, God stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. Jonah was not a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah, but I'm reminded of Isaiah who reminds us that God said, I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. One thing is for certain. As Jonah tries to cross the rolling deck that's being tossed to and fro from the storms, he's met with a barrage of questions from the sailors. And there are questions that reveal their humanity. They've already guessed that the storm was supernatural. Jonah had already drawn the short straw, as it were. The lot had fallen on him. When I was a kid and read about casting lots for some reason, I immediately equated this with professional gambling and thought it was oh, really, really bad. It took me quite some time, quite a while, to realize that this was just the way some decisions were made back in that time. Indeed, Proverbs 16.33 reads, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Now, while the ancients may have tossed literal dice, we're far more haphazard when it comes to making life choices. We kind of just go with the flow and hope for the best. The ultimate truth is that God is in control of everything, and his plans always come to pass. So even that Jonah is pointed out as the one who has caused the storm, the sailors, those guys who have just tossed their merchandise over the sides of the ship, they still want to be certain. They want to know that Jonah is the culprit. And so they ask these questions. Who are you? Why has this horrible storm hit us? 
What do you do? What country are you from? Your nationality. And by asking these questions, they're starting to narrow down some options that perhaps they thought they had. But at some point at least, some of the sailors had become aware that Jonah was running away from God. He was running away from a mission given to him by God. They had heard part of the story. Perhaps Jonah had been questioned when he booked passage to Tarshish. That would make sense. Have any of you traveled abroad recently? Depending on where you're planning to go, you're going to be asked a lot of questions. No questions asked. But now that their lives were in danger, these sailors wanted answers. And Jonah shares this in Jonah 1.9. I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Their response is important. I think we have this notion that these peoples and nationalities lived in their own little bubble. These Phoenicians, these Canaanite sailors, they knew about the Hebrew God. They would have heard from their own histories how the Lord led Israel out of captivity in Egypt. They would most certainly have learned from their own histories about the conflict with God's chosen people. And now here, in their midst, and at his own admission, was the flaw on board their ship. Jonah states, I know this terrible storm is all my fault. Had he been Thomas Andrews on board the Titanic, he would have selflessly gone about saving sailors' lives. But this guy who's running from God goes even one step further downhill when he asks them to commit murder. Throw me into the sea, then all will be calm. Hold it. Let's recap. Jonah is given the ministry opportunity of a lifetime. Preach to Nineveh. Jonah heads just the opposite direction. He heads towards Spain, which is about as far as away he could go. Then he books passage on a Phoenician ship with a bunch of sailors who worship idols, Baal and Asherah. Jonah, pleased with himself, falls asleep in the hold of the ship. Big storm threatens everyone on board. Jonah admits that the Lord Yahweh, the God who made heaven and earth, has caused the storm. And oh, by the way, if you toss me overboard, the storm will stop. Jonah doesn't even have the guts to jump overboard. He asks the pagan sailors to do him in. He's basically asking these, these sailors to murder him. And that brings me to another someone on board with Jonah. God, the Lord God. It's been a while since our step to how to study the Bible group has met after church. But those of you who were with me Wow, you could spend weeks and weeks studying the sovereignty of God in this tiny little four-chapter book of Jonah. For today's lesson, consider, if you will, the deep, deep love and mercy of our God. 
God is interested in his creation. God so loved the world, but even before the incarnation of God's son, Jesus, we find in this book of Jonah, God loving on his creation. Yes, Nineveh was horrible. If ever a culture deserved God's wrath, it was Nineveh. And judgment was indeed coming. But just as God did in the days leading up to Noah, in Sodom, in Egypt, time after time, God's mercy provided opportunities for people to repent. Jonah had been given a significant opportunity to save people in Nineveh. Judgment would come to Nineveh, but God was merciful and providing time for repentance. The sailors of Jonah's ship were non-believers. They were pagans who worshipped other gods. Here, when confronted with the power of God, we find them falling to their knees and acknowledging Yahweh, the Lord. If we look at the final few verses of Jonah 1, beginning with verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm. They recognized it was God alone. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. God's work is going to happen, folks. His plans will not fail. With or without us, his plans will not fail. He called Jonah to witness to the people of Nineveh. Jonah tries to go as far away from that call as possible. And as one writer states, even in his disobedience, God uses a runaway prophet to reach a bunch of idol-believing sailors a group that was relying on fate and luck one minute while casting lots and then amazed at a powerful, awesome God and vowing to serve him. Since God has called each of us who claim to be believers, as he's called us to get, take the gospel to our world, I would ask you this morning, where is your Nineveh? Nineveh was violent. If you look at history, as empires dissolve into violence, kingdoms fall. Have you heard about any violence going on in our world today? Nineveh was known for witchcraft and sorcery. I challenge you to look at the titles of movies and shows streaming into our homes on a daily basis. Or take a stroll through your local bookstore and simply look at the titles. Many, many, many deal with witchcraft and sorcery. Nineveh was known for its hedonism and illicit sex. Look around you. 
Jonah had a message of mercy and grace to give to people who desperately needed God. Judgment was coming to Nineveh. And a kind, gracious, loving, heavenly father had planned to give Nineveh an opportunity to repent. Believers, storm clouds are gathering around us. Don't run from an opportunity God may be giving you to share to someone who needs to hear that there is salvation in Jesus. It's been a, an interesting few weeks for me. Uh, many of you know that I teach at a private school, and specifically I teach theater and the arts. And uh, we had our musical a week ago, so the weeks leading up to that were crazy busy. And this past few days, we were involved with our annual alumni weekend. So again, busy, 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 busy. And I found myself in the last few weeks thinking, uh, I knew I was supposed to speak this morning. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to. I really don't. I don't want to speak this morning. And that kept going on. And I as the weeks went by, I found myself becoming even more, you know, okay, I, I don't have time to read my scripture this morning. I, I really didn't sp wake up and, and, and pray like I sometimes do. And I found myself just drifting, drifting further and further away. And I know in my heart of hearts that God has called me to teach. I know that this is, is something that, that he has, has worked in my mind, my heart, ever since I was a little boy. But I didn't want to do it. Not this morning. No, thank you. Thought about calling Kevin and saying, you know what, I've got a terrible headache. <laughs> let, me, let me out of this. I don't want to do it. Uh, and I thought, boy, Foreman, and here you are, talking about a sleeping prophet, talking about uh, someone running from, from the, the message God, God would have you do. And uh, it, it, it's interesting. As a believer, I have seen God work in my life in crazy, strange ways. Uh, many of you have heard my, my life's journey, my story, and how God lifted me out of an addictive uh, lifestyle. We'll call it that, even though I hear that that's not, that's not appropriate anymore. But it was. It was an addictive lifestyle. It was, it was who I was. And God, uh, through a miraculous intervention, lifted me out of that and gave me the opportunity to repent. And one of the ways that, that he did that, after falling dismally uh, into sin, he used a little girl by the name of Ashley, who had been part of my ministry. And she left a mixtape. Some of you are old enough to remember mixtapes. She left a mixtape in my mailbox. Didn't, didn't knock on the door, didn't come and see me, but she left it there. And there was a song on it by, the, uh, by a guy by the name of Dennis Jernigan. And it was an old song that we used to sing a lot at the time. It was called, You Are My All in All. You're my strength when I am weak. You're the treasure that I seek. You're my all in all. 
And I didn't think about that for a long time, except I was on my way to church this morning, and I had uh, JTL on, on the radio, and they played that song. And I remembered how God had used that particular song to tug at my heart and bring restoration and healing into my life. And I thought, how like God, knowing how I really, really, really did not want to talk about him this morning, knowing how I was weary, how I would uh, just toss everything overboard, as it were, and kind of go about my, my life's business without recognizing that he was still in control and still had a plan, and he needed to remind me that he is what I need. He's what we all need. I don't know where you're at. I have no idea where you guys work, what you do. I do know this, that if you're a believer, he has given each of you a Nineveh. He's given each of you a group of people that need to hear about his love, that need to hear that he has a plan for their lives just as he does for you. So, that's what I've got for you this morning. Worship team, why don't you come up as I uh, close in prayer. And following that, again, there is a one uh, first step meet, meeting after this with Pastor Kevin in room five. But... How about if I get out of your way while you guys are coming up here? Would that work? I can just come up. Oh, you're, oh this is going to be fun. All right. We'll see how that works. Thank you. Got it? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for what we can learn from the life of Jonah. Father, I ask forgiveness for the times that I've turned away and not wanting to follow your plan for my life or not wanting to share your word with people that desperately need to hear about you. So, Father, as we close today's service, I ask that, that you would continue to work in our hearts, that you would continue uh, to lead us to those that you have placed in our pathway, people that need to know about you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.